The Westminster Confession of Faith was first published in 1646. It was the result of the hard work done by a group of men called the Westminster Divines. Their goal was to outline what they believed the Scriptures principally taught. And it has been said that the Church of Christ cannot be creedless and live. Thankfully, the Westminster Confession of Faith has been the creed of the Reformed Church for almost 400 years. This podcast seeks to point you to Christ, to help you navigate the Westminster Confession of Faith, and to see you understand what you believe and why you believe it. Welcome to This We Confess. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 14, Of Saving Faith, Paragraph 1. The grace of faith, whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls, is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts, and is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the Word, by which also, and by the administration of the sacraments and prayer, it is increased and strengthened. Today, if you walked into any bookshop, no doubt there would be a section on self-improvement. New day, new you. New year, new you. Make choices today that will change your life forever. And in the Christian faith, we often call upon men and women to repent and to believe the gospel. But unlike that stack of self-improvement books, the Christian faith does not look you in the eye and demand that you improve, you get better, you exercise faith. The Christian faith understands that if we are to be saved, it must be a work of God in our lives. Chapter 14 of the Westminster Confession speaks of saving faith, and in the opening paragraph it is absolutely free from us. Salvation is all of God, and as the Westminster Divines outline what saving faith is, we see that it too is all of God. The first four words tell us that faith is a grace, the grace of faith, as the Westminster Divines put it. Faith is something that we do not deserve. Faith is something that God, in his good grace, gives us. Faith is something that we do not deserve, and yet God, in his mercy, extends the hand of friendship to us. Faith is utterly necessary. As the Westminster Divines put it, the elect, by faith, are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls. Our souls cannot be saved unless we trust in Christ. Our souls cannot know salvation unless we exercise that saving faith. But the question addressed in this paragraph is where does this saving faith come from? Perhaps you already have an understanding of where it comes from. For example, you have seen it played out in the wrong way. One evening, you were at a meeting. The gospel was preached. The music was wonderful. And the preacher urged someone to come up to the front to be saved. Many of your friends went up. You witnessed others going and walking the aisle. They all made decisions for Christ. And yet today as you think of that one individual who you loved and prayed for, who that night you thought everything was going to be different as they stood in front of the evangelist, they have since fallen away. They actually never really took off. They never attended church You never saw any fruit in them as the Spirit was to work. In fact, it seemed that that night was the sum total of their Christian experience. What happened? What was wrong? Was the music not right? 
Was the preacher not persuasive enough? Did that individual just not put their energy and heart and soul into it? If you've known any experience like that in the lives of your friends and family, well, this paragraph tells us what was wrong. You see, that saving faith, which is a gift of God and is utterly necessary for us to be saved, is the work of the Holy Spirit of Christ in our hearts. Faith is a gift of God. We read that in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. The Holy Spirit moves, he causes us to be born again, and he enables us to trust in Christ, to place our faith in Jesus. Without this work of the Holy Spirit, any decision that we make for Christ, any time that we have vowed, oh, it will be different, any time we've put our hand in the air and said, this time, God, I promise, without the Holy Spirit working in our lives, then that faith, whatever it might look like, will be of nothing. True saving faith, which is a gift of God, only comes as the Spirit of Christ works in our hearts. As Paul prays for the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 1, he prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the work of his great might. Here Paul prays for brothers and sisters in Christ, but this is also something we should pray for those outside of Christ, that the Lord by his Holy Spirit would open their eyes, that he would give them wisdom and revelation, that he would call them to the hope to which he has called us, that they would see with their eyes wide open, worked by the Holy Spirit, Christ Jesus in all his splendor, and they would put their faith in him. This is how anyone is to be saved by an exercise of saving faith, which is a grace of God. Again, I know I've repeated that time and time again already in this podcast, but it bears repeating. Faith is a grace of God. If you have found yourself in your Christian life believing that faith is all of you, that if only you could challenge someone a bit more, if only you could encourage them a bit more, if only you could change their minds a little bit, and then wondered why all your efforts have come to nothing, Well, this paragraph tells you, faith is a saving grace. It is a gift of God to sinners who have had their eyes opened by the Holy Spirit of Christ working in their hearts. It is, as R.C. Sproul puts it, God requires you to exercise faith in order to be saved, but you are unable to do so unless he first gives faith to you. Let me repeat that. God requires you to exercise faith in order to be saved, but you are unable to do so unless he first gives faith to you. We are utterly unable to choose Christ without first the Holy Spirit causing us to be born again. We will never look to Christ unless first God does a work in us. We will never be persuaded about Christ unless first our eyes are opened to the truths of the gospel. God requires us to exercise faith in order to be saved But we are unable to do so unless God first gives faith to us. Thanks be to God for the gift of saving faith. Because if God did not act first, then not one of us would ever be saved. 
If the Lord did not take the initiative, we would never run to him. So instead, he runs to us. The grace of faith is whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls, and it is a work of the Spirit of Christ in our hearts. But how does this work come about? Well, the divines continue, and they tell us that it is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the Word. We have already heard in the Westminster Confession, in chapter 10 and paragraph 3, that elect infants dying in infancy are regenerated and saved by Christ through the Spirit, who works when and where and how he pleases. And so also are all other elect persons who are incapable of being outwardly called by the ministry of the Word. This paragraph tells us that there is hope for our children who have died in infancy, and there is hope for others who cannot hear or cannot understand or respond to the ministry of the Word. The Holy Spirit, says chapter 10, paragraph 3, works when and where and how he pleases. We state this truth and we believe this truth, but we underline also the truth that comes in today's paragraph. Saving faith is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the Word. Yes, there are some who cannot be called by the ministry of the Word, who the Spirit can regenerate, but saving faith ordinarily is wrought by the ministry of the Word. It is, as Paul says in Romans 10 and verse 14, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Verse 17, Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Ordinarily, saving faith is worked by the ministry of the word and a movement of the Holy Spirit. And this is why in the Reformed Church, so much emphasis is placed on the preaching of the word. This is why we have done our very best to fight against those who have sought to demean the word or give it little importance in the meeting. Faith comes through hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Every time the word is read, Every time the Bible is preached, every time the gospel is shared, God's word does not return unto him void. The Holy Spirit taps sinners on the shoulders, opens their eyes, and leads them to Christ as they exercise saving faith in him. Ordinarily, faith comes through hearing the word. Ordinarily, saving faith is worked as the word is preached. My friends, this puts such a massive emphasis on that preaching moment. And a challenge to you today is simply to ask you, how seriously do you take that preaching moment? Sometimes sermons are to be endured rather than enjoyed. Sometimes the last thing you could be bothered doing is getting out of your bed on a Sunday morning after a busy week and going along to hear the word preached by someone who you perhaps think isn't a very good preacher. My friends, never despise the word of God. Never despise it preached. Give it all the time it needs. If you're in a fellowship where there are many grumbles and complaints because the preacher has run over time, if you're in a fellowship where perhaps there's a movement to say we need less of the word uh, and more of other things, then I urge you to take a stand against such movements. Allow your preacher as much time as he needs to preach God's word into your life. And with grace and compassion, Argue against those who seem to think that the word is not important or the word is not enough. I've heard of a fellowship recently who have said that when it comes to the Bible, they've moved on. They only want the new things of God and not the old. 
this well-meaning fellowship is entirely wrong. And I pray indeed that some of its members and some of its leaders would see the error of their ways and turn back to the so-called old things. Genesis to Revelation, the word of God is powerful and mighty to save and we are blessed by having it opened and read and preached in our fellowships. Saving faith is a grace. By it, the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls. It is a work of the Holy Spirit in us, and that saving faith ordinarily is worked as the word is preached. But faith doesn't begin and end as we come to Christ. We're also told, as this paragraph comes to an end, that by the word, by the administration of the sacraments, and by prayer, our faith is both increased and strengthened. We describe these things as the ordinary means of grace. The word preached and read, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and prayer, the ordinary means of grace. And again, my friends, perhaps you have fallen into a point in your life where these things have less importance to you than they did before. Church is more and more optional. When the word is preached, more and more you have decided not to be there for whatever reason. And you might be able to justify it somehow in your head, but you cannot justify it under Almighty God. He has given us these things to increase and to strengthen our faith. And if you have ever been through a time of difficulty in your Christian life and your faith has been weak, then perhaps the first question that you should ask of yourself is what do I think of the ordinary means of grace? You see, the difficulty in 2020 is that we look at these things and we don't see anything exciting. We want to see people saved in our towns and cities and communities and we come up with schemes and plans to do that. And there are a multitude of parachurch organisations who are doing all of these amazing things. But when it comes down to it, the local church, as poor and as despised as she may be, when it comes down to it, the local church, as unpopular as she may be, when it comes down to it, the local church has been given everything she needs to reach the lost and to equip the saints by the ordinary means of grace, by the preaching and teaching of the word, by the administration of the sacraments, and by prayer, our faith is both increased and strengthened. And so like the apostles in Luke 17 and verse 5, our cry unto the Lord today should be, increase our faith. And if you desire an increase in your faith, a strengthening of your faith, then you do not need to go on some mystical pursuit. You do not need to climb a mountain or try and get in touch with your spiritual side. For your faith to be increased, I simply call upon you to attend to the ordinary means of grace. As I put together this podcast, it is about five past nine on the 7th of March, 2020. It is a Saturday. 24 hours away from a Sunday. Now I will go and I will preach tomorrow and I will do my very best to faithfully share and challenge individuals with the good news of Christ. But what about you? Maybe already you're planning a trip somewhere. Maybe you're planning a, a long lie-in tomorrow. Maybe someone in your fellowship has wounded you and you've no intention of going anymore. You're, you're disappointed in the fellowship. You're annoyed at an individual within it and you've decided that you're just going to opt out and disappear. My friends, if your attitude today is any of those things, I urge you to realize the spiritual danger you put yourself in. To cut yourself off from the ordinary means of grace 
is to cut yourself off from how the Lord sustains us. And yes, many people will say, I can get in touch with the Lord as I walk through a forest. I see the Lord and meet him on the golf course. I love the Lord in the comfort of my own home. And I listen to sermons online and occasionally I will spend a bit of time in prayer. You might be able to say these things and convince yourself of them and somehow justify them. But let me speak today for your local church and for the fellowship that meets there and for the pastor who preaches there. Get along to your fellowship tomorrow. Sit under the word. Crave pure spiritual milk as Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2 and 2. Ask the Lord to show you the word of his grace and understand it is, as Paul said once to the Ephesian elders, able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Acts 20 and 32. If your faith is to be strengthened, if you are to grow as a Christian, then you must attend to the ordinary means of grace, whereby God has ordained your faith to be increased and strengthened. Friends, our saving faith is nothing short of a miraculous gift of God. It comes from his grace, his unmerited favour to those of us who deserve his wrath. And by that saving faith, by that wonderful grace and gift of God, we are enabled to believe to the saving of our souls. The Spirit has worked in us, and by God's grace, the Spirit continues to work to sanctify us. This saving faith was worked as the ministry of the Word was exercised. And tomorrow, in fellowships all across this land, fellowships that you can be part of, our faith is increased and strengthened by the Word by the sacraments, and by prayer. My friends, if God had left you drifting along through life, then today you would still be without God and without hope in this world. But thanks be to God. He has worked. He has taken the decisive initiative in this world. He has stepped into your life. And you have looked onto Christ by faith. Here are five questions for you to consider. Question one, why is saving faith a grace? Question two, according to this paragraph, why is faith necessary and where does it come from? Question three, the Holy Spirit works when and where and how he wishes, but ordinarily, where does he work saving faith? Question four, what are the ordinary means of grace and what is their impact on our faith? And question five, where do we find these ordinary means? That's all for today. As always, my name is Scott Woodburn and until next time, this we confess. (laughs) 